All right. Yes, I know what time it is. So here's my promise. I'm going to go 20 minutes. Now, I'm a Baptist preacher, okay, so, so understand that, that, that I, but, but no, 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 seriously, 20 minutes, all right, and that won't turn into 20 minutes, that turns into 35, that turns into, no. That's, yes, we'll beat the Methodists to the restaurant, so it's fine. That's why we start at 1030, right? That's, that's why we start at 1030. You'll still be out before everyone else. Yes, yes. Go to Isaiah chapter 40. As we are walking through, getting ready for the Christmas season and walking through this series, I just called the Christmas story. And we started in the beginning a few weeks ago and, and looked at uh, Jesus and, and how the Bible tells us that Jesus didn't, he didn't just start. He wasn't, he didn't, he didn't begin existing when he was born, but he's always, he always has been from eternity past. And then we looked at the fall in Genesis 3 and, and a great quote from John Piper that said that uh, Christmas is an indictment before it's a celebration and, and that uh, Christmas is ultimately, uh, we ultimately have Christmas because of our sin, because we need a Savior. And then last week we looked at five covenants in the Scripture that God used to move His people and to prepare His people for the coming of the Messiah. God's covenants with Noah, Abram, Moses, David, and then the New Covenant. And we said that God's covenants are always based on His faithfulness and His character, and we'll see that again this morning. And, and so this morning, we're going to look at Isaiah chapter 40 and the promise of a Messiah. And so if you will stand with me, we go to Isaiah chapter 40, we're going to read verses 1 through 11. Isaiah 40 says, Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight a path in the desert, a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice says, Cry, and I said, What shall I cry? All flesh is grass, and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely the people are grass. Verse 8 says, The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Go up to a high mountain, O Zion. Herald of good news, lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up, fear not. Say to the cities of Judah, behold your God. Behold, the Lord God comes with might, and his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him, and his recompense before him. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for the opportunity to open up uh, your word together. Will you show us the, the promises that are here as we prepare to celebrate the birth of Messiah? We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Isaiah chapter 40. We're going to look at five promises here uh, in Scripture. Five promises that we have before us this morning. And the first promise that we have we see in verses 1 and 2, and that is that God promises peace for his people. Now, now, here's an interesting thing about this. So, in the very beginning of Isaiah's ministry, um, 
Isaiah was called to prophesy some harsh things. So if you remember the scene in Isaiah chapter 6, where Isaiah says he saw the Lord, uh, the Lord seated in his temple, and the train of his robe filled the temple, and he, see these, he sees these angels praising the name of God. And he's overwhelmed by this, by this sight that he has, this vision that he has of the Lord sitting in his temple. And then the, the Lord cries out, Whom shall I send and who will go for me? And, and in response to all that he's seen, Isaiah cries out, Here I am, send me. It's an awesome scene at the beginning of Isaiah 6. Right? So, so Isaiah sees the Lord, and then all of a sudden, man, he's just like, yeah, I'll go wherever you send me. And this is what the Lord tells him. Look with me in Isaiah chapter 6, verses 9 through 13. He said, go and say to this people, keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy and blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. Now, now think about that for a second. Think about what Isaiah just saw. Like he just saw, man, the glory of God, right? Like filling up the temple. And he says, man, here I am. Send me. What do you want me to say? Uh, go tell this people, you're not going to hear from me. You're not going to understand what you see. Here's what, Isaiah, here's what God is telling Isaiah. Listen, you're going to go and you're going to preach and people are not going to respond. Like, and I kind of I picture Isaiah going, here I am, send me. Uh, can, can I take that back? Like, like, do I still have to go? Is that contract still binding? But, that, but then it gets worse. So, so look at verse 11. Then I said, how long, O Lord? And he said, until cities lie waste without inhabitant and houses without people and the land is a desolate waste and the Lord removes people far away and the forsaken places are many in the midst of the land and though a tenth remain in it, it will be burned again like a terebinth or an oak whose stump remains when it's felled. The holy seed is its stump. So he says, God, how long is this going to happen? How long will people not listen? And God says, until everything's a desolate wasteland. That's Isaiah's message. And for the first 39 chapters of Isaiah, with a few exceptions, where you get uh, Isaiah like chapter 9, which we've read a lot, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. Um, with a few exceptions, Isaiah's message in the first 39 chapters is pretty harsh and pretty awful. And then in, verse, and then in chapter 40 here, there's a switch. And after calling destruction on people who are not following after God. In verse 1, God says, now, now that message changes, and it's comfort, comfort my people. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her. Her warfare is ended. So even though there had been punishment, there was consequences for people turning away from God. God's covenant remained with his people. His love remained with his people. See, what we see here is that God is faithful to his character regardless of how we respond to that character. Paul talks about this a couple places in the New Testament. In Romans 3, he asks this. He says, what if some were unfaithful? Does their faithlessness nullify the faithfulness of God? By no means, listen to this, let, every, or let God be true, though everyone were a liar, as it is written, that you may be justified in your words and prevail when you are judged. And then 2 Timothy 
Paul writes to Timothy, listen, even if we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. After 39 passages, 39 chapters of, of talking about this destruction that's coming, and, and in fact, in the midst of that, um, the, the people of Judah have seen most of their people taken away to Babylon, and the tent that were left were the ones that Babylon didn't have any use for. And so they removed all the influential, educated, wealthy, powerful people to Babylon and left the tenth of the rest of the people there. And it looked like God was done with them. But he says, no, comfort my people. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem. So that's the first promise, that there is is peace for God's people. Secondly, we, we see here a promise of a path for the Messiah. Verses 3 through 5. He writes, A voice cries in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain. By the way, there it's not talking literally like mountains will all be made low. He's talking about um, the way that the world operates, the injustice that we see in the world. And he's saying that's going to be leveled out when God shows up. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Now, I said we would talk a bit about John the Baptist, and that's where we are here, because this this call to prepare a, a way for the Lord is ultimately fulfilled through the ministry and life of John the Baptist. In fact, to John's father, Zechariah, he was told this about his son. It says, he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. He will go before them in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. Remember, John's ministry started before Jesus's, and he went out with a very simple message. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. And he called people to turn away from their wickedness, to prepare themselves for the coming of the Messiah. And so, as I mentioned earlier, we see here the great care of God for his people. And that he didn't just send the Messiah, but he sent someone to prepare the hearts for the people to receive Messiah when he comes. We're told that here in verse 3 that there's a voice crying in the wilderness. What I see in that is that God meets his people where they are. He doesn't say, listen, you've you got to come into my place. You've got to come into my house. You've got to clean yourself up to get ready, and then I'll come. No, it says a voice crying in the wilderness. He sent John to where the people were to tell them, listen, Messiah is coming. God's up to something new. Prepare yourselves. The third promise we have here is the preservation of God's word. Verse 6, we see, it says, A voice says, Cry, and I said, What shall I cry? All flesh is grass, and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The the, The grass withers, the flower fades when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely the people are grass. Now you see there kind of the desperation of what he's saying there. Listen, everything we know passes away. Everything that we experience in this life is temporary. Whether good or bad, it all comes to an end. He said, surely this people is like grass. Surely they're going to to pass away. But the the, the promise comes in verse 8. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. And it has. It has. 
See, these words were spoken nearly 700 years before Christ was born. And the word of the Lord stood fast. And now here we are, gathered in a church building in the United States of America, nearly 2,000 years after Christ was crucified, buried, and resurrected. And his word has stood the test of time, despite men's best or maybe worst attempts to destroy it. It has stood and it will continue to stand because we have these promises in the book of Hebrews. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Then we have Paul telling Timothy again in 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Listen, if you, if you have trouble believing that the, the word of God is sharper than any active sword, uh, just start quoting some Bible verses to friends. And see if that, if that doesn't, see if some of them don't run in a hurry. It, there's an effect on it. Now, I'm not saying that we start beating people over the head with it. That's not what I'm saying. I read somewhere this week, it said, um, said that the Bible's not a club to beat people with. But it is a sword that pierces to the heart. It, it does have an effect. But we have, to, we, we have to understand that it's a sword. And you would, you would handle a sword differently than you would a club. Right? You're not just going to, I mean, a club, you might just kind of drag around with you. A sword, you're going to be much more delicate and deliberate with. It's the same way with the Word of God. We, we've, been, we've been given a, a very effective tool to call people to repentance, to spur us on to righteousness. And we need to we need to understand how to handle that tool correctly. Because this is a book that has been abused countless times throughout history. That's not all. We, we have another promise. And that is that, that there will be a proclamation of the good news. Look at verse 9. Go up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. O, lift up your voice with strength, O Strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news, lift it up, fear not, say to the cities of Judah, behold your God. Now notice here, this is not just, uh, this is a message that is, that is declared to all the people. It's not just for a select few to go and proclaim the good news. So the, the call to preach the gospel is not reserved for preachers. This is a call to all believers. And, and here's the thing. Preaching the gospel doesn't mean standing on the stage with a microphone. It could simply mean walking across the street to a neighbor's house. There is a difference. But all of us are called to proclaim the good news. Acts 1.8, Jesus here is speaking to his disciples. And so we see there is a role for, for those who spent time with Jesus, those men who would become the first church leaders. He, he gives them this, he, this charge. He says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So, so there we see that, that Jesus' 12 disciples were commissioned to go and preach the gospel. But they're not the only ones. And we see this even in the Christmas account in Luke chapter 2. 
This is speaking about the shepherds who were just common, ordinary men. They would not have been trained in theology. They wouldn't have been educated. And yet this is what it tells us. It says, when they saw it, so when they saw the star, when they heard the angels speak, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. The shepherds became the first evangelists about the, the Messiah who was born, telling the good news. You and I are called to proclaim the good news day in and day out, wherever we may find ourselves. The final promise we have here, protection by the good shepherd in verses 10 and 11. It says, Behold, the Lord comes with might, and his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. John 10, 11, Jesus will use this same image as a, uh, image of a shepherd for himself. It says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Uh, now remember, People in the Old Testament didn't generally see God as a shepherd guiding them. It, a lot of times the, the picture that people had in the Old Testament of God is that he was removed from them watching them. They, they saw him in power and in might. They saw him in clouds of fire by day and in pillars of, or clou, pillars of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. They saw him in things like the burning bush. When, when God hid Moses in the cleft of the rock and came by and, and the glory of the Lord was so much that Moses' face shone like the sun when he came down off the mountain, that was the picture people had in the Old Testament of who God was. And then Jesus shows up and he said, I'm the good shepherd. I'm going to guide you gently into the way that I have for you. In Jesus, we see this new picture, not just God uh, commanding us, but God with us, Emmanuel. John 1.14, we have this great declaration. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. We have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. See, Jesus coming and putting on skin doesn't diminish his glory at all, but it gives us a new picture of God with us, living among us. So all these promises that we've looked at in Isaiah 40 are leading to the fulfillment of one big promise. The one, of course, that we'll celebrate next weekend, Luke 2.11. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. The ultimate promise is not anything concerning what God will do for us. And if you're, if you're looking in the Bible for those promises, what God will do for you, you are going to miss something big. The biggest problem is nothing that God does for The biggest promise is nothing that God does for us. The biggest promise is that God will come be with us. Hope you've come to experience the presence of God living in you and, and knowing his plans for your life. If not, we're going to sing just a, a couple of verses here in a second. We're not going to drag this out long. And if that's you, if you'd like to know what it means to come to know God with us, the, the one who paid for your sins and my sins on the cross, I would love to visit with you about that this morning. Let's pray.
Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for the opportunity to gather and to celebrate this Christmas season. We pray that, uh, that each of us will experience this week. As, as we rush towards this Christmas season, each of us will, will pause and come to experience God with us. The ultimate promise that you came not just to save us, but to live in us, to dwell among us. If there's anyone who doesn't know that promise this morning, may today be the day that they come to know the forgiveness available through Christ Jesus. Move in these next few moments. We ask all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.